There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 9th, 2011. For newcomers, you should always help yourself to the audios available for free download at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll see a bunch of sites listed there. If you find sticking on downloads, uh, try one of these alternate sites. Sometimes everyone goes into the com at the same time. And that causes a bit of kind of sticking on download. Uh, all those sites listed also have transcripts in English for for prints up, and if you go into Alan Watts Sentient, sentinel.eu, which is also listed on the com site, you'll, you'll find a list of uh, transcripts for other languages for, for prints up. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you, so you can help me by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check or an international postal money order, which is about the same price as an ordinary postal order. And you can also use PayPal to order. Remember, donations too are really welcome. And across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again. And what I try to do on this broadcast is simply chronicle the events that we're living through and to tie it in with the past to show you the past is definitely connected because everything, everything, cultural-wise, everything uh, that's happening in the world today was planned long, long before you were born. Everything. In fact, the next century is already planned now, in fact, and, and some of them are even implementing the changes that people who are living in the year 2026, 2040 will have to get used to. They're working on laws that will come into place in 200, 2026 and 2040, 2050, right down to your DNA rights, etc., if you have any rights at all, and how they will choose the gender of children, and various other things as well. All worked out by uh, politicians and lawmakers right now as we speak. In fact, the Brookings Institute has a big uh, lecture coming up on it quite shortly. So they're always at work planning the future to make sure, you see, for, the, for their masters, uh, that uh, it's the future that they desire to, to happen at that time. And so the, the, this, <laughs> the present is no different because it's all planned, as I say, an awful long time ago. A lot of the players involved in the big think tanks and the implementations of it all uh, wrote books about it. They love to write books and the memoirs and to boast about their big part in the great work, as I like to call it, which is radically altering society, radical alteration of society, and, and the fact, too, that uh, big foundations, which are just fronts for the international moneylenders and their armies of NGOs, um, have taken have had a big part in making the present reality as it is didn't develop by itself, nothing at all, nothing in society, nothing in culture developed on its own. And that's how you keep control of society down through the ages. I think it's been this, for, this way for an awful long time because in the ancient times too, they studied different societies and how they worked, operated cultures, uh, systems, what bound them together, also how to disrupt them. If you want to attack them, you disrupt them first. And there are many ways of doing that too. Generally, you degenerate them into 
the state where they can't function anymore. And we're at that stage now across the so-called civilized world. That was all done deliberately too, to bring in a new world order. I'll be touching on some of those things tonight because there's, there's some bills being passed now and uh, to do with special rights for special people because special people now uh, seem to dominate the world and if you don't belong to a special group, you're, you're really a nobody nowadays. That's all the trend. I'll also be touching on the hearings that on John Corzine, uh, who was the, uh, the former CEO of bankrupt MF Global. And it's quite a laugh, of course, because it was a whitewash. No real questions were asked. And in other words, it was all staged before they even got onto the floor. That's how they do it behind closed doors. We'll go through the routine and you'll get a slap on the wrist. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix talking about uh, these, these fake hearings that they have for the public, really, it's not for any other reason, but for the PR for the public, uh, the appearance of justice. As Plato said, there is no justice, there's only the appearance of justice. John Corzine, former CEO of bankrupt MF Global, was subpoenaed to testify before the House Agricultural Committee yesterday. He spoke for the first time since his resignation from MF Global on November the 4th, 2011. And honestly, I was in the camp that he would not speak at all. I was to take the Fifth Amendment. However, Corzine had a 21-page statement. He only read a portion of it, skipping the part about his childhood and other meaningless facts, and answered every question that was put to him by members of the committee. The questioning, by, of course, by House members did not have any or many dramatic moments as other committee hearings that called corporate leaders to task. In other words, they didn't get asked any hard questions at all. It was, it was just a, it's a show trial, a hearing, show, a show hearing. It says, compare yesterday's hearing to Lloyd Blankfein's CEO, uh, Goldman Sachs, asked during he got for creating a collateralized debt obligation called CDOs to clients, and then Goldman betting against those same investments, shorting, they call it, for a profit. You can get your head around these cons, these, these, these bar stewards, you know, those two words, do. You just can't get your mind around them. They're so, it's not intelligence, it's like a, an innate cunning, you know. Uh, anyway, it says here, Senator Carl Levin asked Blankfein, do you think if your people, Goldman, uh, think something's a piece of crap, and then you go out and sell that, then your company bets against that. Do you think that deserves your trust? Blankfein fired back with his own reasoning, but you get the point. As his darts were flying, not so with Corzine hearing, it was difficult for journalists and bloggers to find something to write a tagline for that captured the hearings. So there's, there's nothing to write for the, for, the, for, the, for the people sitting there because the questions were so lame. So that's what they give the American people after getting plundered. And Goldman Sachs uh, laughs all the way to their own bank, basically. Imagine that, though, selling, uh, selling them, creating a collateralized debt obligations uh, in the CEO of Goldman Sachs, uh, and then and then betting against the same investments for a profit. Who would think of that? See, we can't get our heads around this stuff. These guys are born with it. You know, it's, it's genetic. And, um, and it's intergenerational, too. And then we go on to the Eurozone, because, again, the Eurozone has had it planned for a long time to create so much chaos. And they've even had articles in the Council on Foreign Relations' own magazine, uh, Foreign Affairs, that they would use every crisis to further integrate 
the powers of, from the sovereign nations into the EU Parliament. So this is the reason for all this nonsense that they've been throwing billions and billions of, of euros to plug holes in Greece and elsewhere. No one, no one has ever come up and said where the money's gone, actually. All, we, all they know at the taxpayers' level is that they're put down as the guarantors to pay all this money that was borrowed to throw in this black hole. Anyway, David Cameron, of course, that's not doing too well in the polls, is doing a bit of political uh, grabbing himself right now. And I love how this PR piece here from the Mail Online puts across this. David Cameron stood defiantly behind his historic veto of a new EU power grab last night as France plotted to push Britain towards the EU exit door. And the most momentous decision in his premiership, Mr Cameron resolutely defended British interests by rejecting demands for treaty change across the EU as part of a rescue plan for the single currency. Well, what they demanded was that you give up all of your sovereignty and all your monetary sovereignty as well. Angry Eurocrat said the extraordinary and unexpected move, the first time a British Prime Minister has said no to a new European treaty, marked a great divorce and threw Britain's future in the EU into serious doubt. Well, it doesn't at all, because Cameron's already said that he's not leaving it, and he's still going by the old treaty, you see. So it's just a little temporary thing to keep the taxpayers back home uh, a little bit uh, satisfied that he's actually doing something on their behalf, which he isn't at all, believe you me. David Cameron was well selected by, not by the public, but by those who presented him to be Prime Minister, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. So he's their man. And it's these guys who came up with the whole idea and drafted the treaties, and started drafting the treaties for the European Union. David Cameron lived, uh, says David Cameron, um, says this is going to cost the UK dearly. They've antagonized everyone, said one senior EU official. I don't believe David Cameron was ever with us at the table, complained Germany's Angela Merkel. And Francis Le Mans newspaper pronounced that Europe of 27 is finished as 27 members. It's only 23 now, I think. While Germany's Der Spiegel declared bye-bye Britain. But of course, as I say, you wait and see. Uh, I'll come back stronger than ever. And... Um, it's just a bit of, uh, you know, political gathering, power gathering for politics, really. That's all this story particularly is. And this article here is, an, is from the Council on Foreign Relations. It says a new fiscal union for Europe. And um, it talks about the meeting of the Council Summit in Brussels late into Thursday night. And uh, it says leaders of 17 Eurozone countries agreed to sign a new intergovernmental treaty uh, and, of course, it's, it's to give them more fiscal coordination, actually to give them total monetary coordination and budget discipline under one system. That's the IMF and the central bank, the private central bank. So that was the whole idea of all this crisis and the black hole you had to plug with money to keep Greece and Spain and different countries afloat by borrowing from the same central banks and others, uh, the private banks, um, the whole idea was to get them totally cemented into this new system, to save them, you see. Create the problem and say, oh, we'll have to give up your sovereignty to save you. There's no other way to do it. That's what they said. So, that's that. Now, <laughs> you know, the average person floats through life. They float through life. They're never really conscious. They're, they're kind of semi-hypnotic most of the time. And they're full of data. There's, there's data thrown at them from all angles, from radio, television, and the internet, and they're all walking about with their, their iPods on, all the rest of it, and their Blackberries, etc. And data is just data, remember. It's just data, nothing. It's just 
meaningless information, and uh, they can't discern it, most of them. So that's why most folk today accept anything that's coming along the pike from governments or anything else. They accept things because they're, they're so full of data they can't reason anymore for themselves. They, don't, they wait for someone to do the reasoning for them, like Brzezinski said. That is very true. And they expect the media to plainly tell them what to worry about and what not to worry about. They honestly, honestly do. They think the media is there as, as part of their reasoning system for their brain. And I've mentioned before, I think you just has to walk down the street in any major city to see the mess it's in today. They have to walk into abortion clinics and look at them, walk into venereal disease clinics, look at them, and, uh, and look at statistics too on, on the rampaging of diseases, etc., the fun diseases, they now call them, used to call them uh, venereal diseases, now they're called fun diseases. And, um, and you can also go into the TSA and watch these goons uh, literally behave like thugs in an occupied country. That's what you think you, you were in, an occupied country, when you see the TSA pulling the pants down on children and patting them up and getting them trained for the, for the future, the hellish future they'll grow up into because this so-called war on terror is to be here forever, folks. That's what they've said, forever. And everyone's suspect. And it's going to expand, too, into all kinds of areas because it's a beautiful term. It's not a, it's not a thing. It's, it's really it's a, it's an adjective, basically, you see. Terrorism can be anything. Uh, someone shouting at you could be a terrorist. You know, someone um, who is so-called homophobic could be a terrorist for saying something they didn't like. And so, so you'll have speech terrorists shortly as well. They've actually used that term, speech terrorism, and printed terrorism. But when you see the elderly being treated this way too, you know it's all finished in your country. I hope you understand that. I hope you understand it's all finished when children and the elderly uh, are strip-searched. In this article here, three elderly women say TSA agents made them pull down their pants and underwear. And there's a little video of one of them talking about it. And um, they say that the TSA is just flat out lying, saying this never happened. They have zero credibility, and everything they say can and should be assumed to be a lie. Uh, Chris, with age come, uh, says, with age come such things as catheters, colostomy bags, and adult diapers. Now add another indignity to getting old, having to drop your pants and show these things to a complete stranger. The, the, the ones who've already grown up in their 20s wouldn't mind. They'll, I can drop their clothes for anybody because been, that's the new lifestyle. Two women in their 80s put the Transportation Security Administration on the defensive this week by going public about their embarrassment during screenings in a private room at Kennedy Airport. One claimed she was forced to lower her pants and underwear in front of an agent so that her back brace could be inspected. Another said agents made her pull down her waistband to show her colostomy bag. And it says, while not confirming some of the details, the TSA said a preliminary review shows officers followed the agency's procedures in both cases, but experts said the potential for such searches will increase as the U.S. population ages and receives prosthetics and other medical devices, some of which cannot go through screening machines. Well, the whole thing's a farce in, to, to begin with, all the screening. It's a training thing. The public are being trained by it. Even Israel that sells all these machines and won't use them. They said they're, they're garbage. Rubbish. They're, they're ineffective. So it's a training exercise. We were, everyone's been trained 
to obey the guys, you know, the thugs, the thugs with the weapons and so on, uh, who'll uh, taser you or shoot you or you know, put the knee in your spine till they break it. Uh, that's what you have now. You're being trained to obey, obey authority, blatantly, like, like an occupied country. That's what it is. Now, while the whole country is going down the tubes, and uh, Hillary Clinton and others are out all over the, out the world still pushing for war with, with a couple of two or three countries left, I think, um, it, these, these aren't the main objectives, or the sole objectives, I should say. Because she's coming out now demanding uh, that, that um, gay rights are at the top of the list for Obama's presidential a campaign, etc. But he wants it to be promoted globally for all the financial goodies that are handed out across the world from the provisions. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Talking about with all the things that are happening in the world today and all the coming wars that have to go on and all the, the bankruptcies and uh, massive taxations, uh, the, the carbon taxes are still on hold. They'll come out again, though, and they'll carry on merrily because that is the agenda. They never retreat from their agenda. And you think the ones at the top would have more on their minds with all that. But no, it's of vital importance, you see, that homosexual folk get, get more special treatment even more special treatment than they already have. Strange that, isn't it? It's only because you don't understand why they pick certain ones to go up into politics. That's the only reason why you don't understand it. Because they're utterly radical, you see. And they're unbending. I could name some countries. I've got them in them already at the top. As White House released a memorandum outlining President Obama's strategy for promoting homosexuality globally, this is, this is the job of the U.S. is to promote homosexuality globally. Think about that now, eh? Secretary of State Hillary Clinton was busy hectoring the United Nations Human Rights Council in Geneva with the same discordant anthem. Speaking on behalf of the President, Clinton extorted the UN body concerning the evils of gay and lesbian discrimination, uh, reported the Associated Press, declaring the US will use foreign assistance, that's her foreign aid, you see, as well as the diplomacy to back its insistence that gay rights are fully equal to other basic human rights. That's homosexual rights for gay, you know. Harkening back to the rhetoric she used over 15 years ago at a UN confab on women's rights, Clinton compared the struggle for homosexual equality to difficult passages towards women's rights and racial equality, noted the AP. And she said that a country's cultural or religious traditions are no excuse for discrimination. That Well, that's her opinion, but you see folk who have religious traditions and beliefs have another opinion, you see, and their, their traditions and beliefs kept them together functioning properly for an awful long time. What's functioning around us today, folks? Hmm? Totalitarianism is functioning around us now. So gay rights are human rights. I hate that because gay used to be a word that meant happy. And then they go and change it and they demand that you call them gay. Why? You call it what it is, you know, it's homosexuality. And um, who cares what they do in their bedrooms? They've always been here, you know. But but to celebrate them and push them off you know, into your face is a different thing altogether. There's another agenda on the go here. It says it should never be a, a crime to be, I was going to say happy there, but they say gay again, which is homosexual. <laughs> 
The Secretary of State's UN audience included a health, a healthy representation of officials whose cultures are repulsed by the immorality of homosexual acts and where the retribution for such behaviours want to reach beyond civilised boundaries. Hillary made it quite clear that anything less than the civil, if not loving, embrace of gays, lesbians, transvestites and other LGBT, I actually think that was a car, like a sports car, uh, persons wouldn't fly in an increasingly global community patrolled by US-funded and encouraged anti-discrimination police. So we're about to get police now, apparently, and the US's job, and its main jobs, is to make sure that everybody's happy, I guess, or, you know, gay around the world. Uh, but this is incredible, isn't it? When all this is, but there's a very good reason, as I say. And you look at a lot of these top people, you know, and on the way up, they're always very active in, in the school, the social, the politics side of things. And they, I know for a fact, because I met some of them, some of the, the females, and um, they had to, they, they had to, they went through this lesbian thing because it was almost mandatory to do it, you see, uh, to show you really, really got no hang-ups in anything. And then they get to the top of the tree, and as I say, some of them are on top of the, the work, countries now, in fact. And from the presidential memorandum, it says, International Initiatives to Advance the Human Rights of Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Persons. This is from the U.S. government, the White House. And I'll put these links up tonight, and you can read all that stuff as well, if you can stomach it. Because apparently it's awfully important. And while all the world's going down the tubes into totalitarianism, that this is the, the top of the tree, apparently, you know, for some strange reason. Now, racketeering is uh, nothing new to the States, and especially when it was taken over quite a long time ago, it was, uh, racketeering came to very prominence, and it's still going on big time. This one, uh, it's, and it's again, it's a sign of the times, it's a sign of a, a decaying society, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's also the sign of immorality and lack of religious uh, beliefs, or at least culture, because it's, it was only religious culture that gave you a workable society, whether you like it or not whether you like it or not. This is a federal racketeering complaint accuses high-ranking Philadelphia code enforcement officials of looting the residences of elderly and disabled citizens under the fraudulent pretenses of needing to clear the homes of various code violations. A federal racketeering complaint, remember? High-ranking Philadelphia code officials, uh, enforcement officials. So this, this is the government. The scheme carried out as part of a purported anti-blight initiative called the Community Life Improvement Program, CLIP, has so far resulted in at least nine felony convictions on charges that included perjury, theft, and gun running, according to Stephen Tengood. It seems the governments do nothing more but than gun running these days, eh? And in Mexico and all over the place. And say a long-time civilian worker in the armed forces who says the home he's lived in for nearly 45 years was plundered by clip or federal workers. Tengood62 says one of the stolen guns was later used in a homicide. He said he was forced to put his... So, so even the feds here are selling the guns that they're stealing from these old folk. He says he was forced to, to put his 96-year-old mother in a nursing home because she was a Holocaust survivor and she was disturbed by the continual presence of city officials serving additional notices and bills related to supposed property code violations. That's what they get you on now. It's all how long is your grass, you know, or how short is it to us, too short. And removing items from the exterior of his home, according to the 60-page complaint. It says that when he tried to appeal the bogus violations through the city's administrative review process, a deputy city solicitor willfully supported defendants' inspectors' underlying plan to rob Mr. Tengood. They robbed him of everything, folks. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, reading an article about cities basically plundering elderly people under the guise of cleaning some of the, their hoarding problems out of the house and, and robbing them blind uh, in the process, all authorized by uh, city governments and so on, because they split the loot, you see, they split it all among, this is like the Soviet Union was, that's what they did there when the cops went in and so on, they split, they took everything and split the loot, yeah, it's happening here. Says here, Tengu says that when he tried to appeal the bogus violations through the administrative review process, a deputy city solicitor willfully supported defendants' inspectors' underlying plan to rob Mr. Tengu and basically accused him of being a hoarder, accusing, uh, accusing CLIP crews of committing a city-funded crime wave of break-ins and thefts. A grand jury in 2009 found that the crews didn't simply pocket stray knickknacks; they drove trucks to the houses and took everything. There's lots of people. In several cases, the property owners were forced out or locked out of their houses. Even though the clip crew had no legal authority to enter their properties or displace the occupants, the grand jury found. Clip was designed to allow officials to respond quickly to property code violations by giving owners 20 days to remediate a violation or face unilateral action by city workers who could cut weeds, remove trash, or otherwise clean a property, then bill the owner for the services. That's why you can't allow any laws on the books, you understand, when it comes to your property, any at all, because they always expand them into this kind of con, this rip-off, this crime. That's how government works. So what may have begun as a well-intentioned anti-blight program, no, they probably knew exactly where they were going. Quickly, and that, shoot, that proves that it turned quickly into something far more nefarious. According to the grand jury, one 75-year-old woman was at home with her husband and disabled daughter when one of the clip crew members climbed in through her kitchen window and an inspector broke in through her basement door. After removing the family from the house, the crew ransacked their home, stealing over $25,000 in cash and almost all of the furniture. When she later asked the supervisor of the crew what happened to all of the money and furniture from the house, he told her to get a lawyer. One of the crew members testified that the supervisor, Rick Susinski, allowed them to take money uh, from houses, saying it was a fire hazard. Can you believe this, folks? Eh? Utter stinking crooks. Sosinski, named as a defendant in Tengu's complaint, pleaded guilty to a slew of charges and was sentenced to one and a half to three years in prison, according to court records and reports in the Northeastern Times. So apparently this whole uh, idea of clip was launched by city councilwoman Joan Krajewski in April 2002 as a campaign to target quality of life, code violations. Quality of life, yeah, we'll rob you blind. I bet they were, it was set up to go this way right from the beginning. Right from the beginning, folks. But it's a sign, too, that your system's kaput. It's finished. It's finished. It's happening. This is things happening all over the place. Also tonight, I'm putting up a, a link. All these ones I put up links to, but I'm putting up a link to this article here. It's a PDF from the government. It's a strategic implementation plan from powering local partners to prevent violent extremism in the United States. And it's, it's a quite a, a lengthy PDF from El Presidento and uh, is to do with uh, how to prevent violent extremism inside the U.S. 
and all the different spying organizations and so on that they're going to work with and partnerships and yada, yada, yada to spy on everyone. If they watch every word that you say from now on because you're some nutcase taking it the way they want to hear it and uh, and no questions will be asked. You're something to be grabbed and, you know, the, you'll get the black bag over your head, pulled in the van and you're taken off to be tortured. I'm no kidding. You think I'm joking about that? No, I'm not joking at all about that. That's going to, you'll see this shortly. Very shortly, in fact. Very shortly. So I'll put that one up too. And... um We've often wondered too, we've had very good people come out in the past and expose uh, the reason for the failing education system. It's on purpose. They don't want intelligent people with rational capabilities and reasoning capabilities at this particular time. They want people who are pretty dumb, stupid, like lots of sex and drugs, and go and wear black uniforms and, 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 and watch old reruns of The Simpsons. Uh, that's the, the culture that they want. And they've got it, actually. They actually have, have that. They raise a generation on purpose for this very time where they'll bash even their parents' heads in, but definitely the elderly and everybody else. But uh, here's an article here from Britain uh, to do with exams there. An examination chief, these are the guys who write out the examinations and, and, and control the examinations. She says, you don't have to teach a lot for our tests. Uh, Steph Warren, the chief examiner at Edexcel, it's called one of Britain's biggest exam boards, has been recorded boasting about the easiness of the company's tests. It says, uh, uh, Mrs. Warren, Ms. Warren, the chief examiner for Edexcel's GCSE geography, said that teachers should pick your company's exam because you don't have to teach a lot. Ms. Warren also expressed her disbelief that the geography exam had been cleared by the official regulator. She said, there's so little in the exam, we don't know how we got it through the exam regulator. She claimed it was a lot smaller than the other boards, and that's why a lot of people came to us. The conversation involving an undercover reporter and two teachers took place at an Edexcel seminar in Birmingham last month. It also raised concerns about the rigor of exam papers and standards. They don't want people who can think and who can pull back on memory and lift things out their minds into the present and use it and uh, against things that are happening today. They want pretty stupid people, and, and actually they have a lot of them around, if you, you probably notice. In Australia, as things go backwards, of course, that's what Tyranny always gives you. You always go backwards. Um, fingerprint scanners are now being used to monitor workers' hours and lunch breaks, with some businesses using technology to dock employees' pay if they're late. Workers at Qantas, Dan Murphy's, Breville and Unimedical are amongst those using the new system called PeopleKey, which clocks employees in and out. The scanners register workers at fingerprints and records the time they start and finish. Information can be forwarded, payroll officers and employees can be penalised if they're caught arriving late or slacking off. I think they can also use it going to and from the bathroom. Dan Murphy's spokesman said it used the system to monitor staff at its liquor stores, but said employees were not docked for a few minutes' tardiness. So it's just, once again, it's getting used to the step towards biometrics and, uh, and, ch- and chips and all the rest of it, too. So you're treated like criminals now if you get a job. You know, labor should be up in arms about this because you're not a criminal. Uh, you sell your labor. You know, you don't sell your soul. You don't sell your soul. You know, and you don't sell your respect. Always remember that. If you do, but I have no, I, I have no, <laughs> I've got nothing for you. As simple as that. 
Now, those who go to church, uh, if there's anything called a church today, they're kind of like a Santa Claus they pray to these days, I think, uh, because I don't really believe most of it. If you go to church, heed this warning, it says, the CDC and HSS held an off-the-record, not-for-the-press purposes phone conference with church and community leaders. That's for the Center of Disease Control, remember. They want to administer flu vaccines in churches, synagogues, and mosques. They're encouraging church leaders to influence people to get the shots through clinics run by Walgreens, which would send pharmacists out to places of worship to mass vaccinate people in the church, synagogue, mosque. By the way, pharmacists are not supposed to uh, do invasive procedures, and something being stuck through your skin into your body is actually classed. For those who don't know, an invasive procedure, they're not taught how to do it or anything else. A pharmacist is just a pusher for pills. He measures them out in a weighing machine. It's all automatic, and then he sells you at an extortionate price. That's his job. As is recently, the White House official Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships held an invitation-only call. The call was co-sponsored by the U.S. Health and Human Services, the Office of Minority Health, and the CDC. Conspicuously, the end of the invitation read, This call is off the record and not for press purposes, but it became public when it showed up on the HHS website. Fortunately, one of the staff was able to get the call. The focus of the call was in getting faith-based organizations to sponsor flu clinics with Walgreens. Basically, they want to move inside your church, mosque, or synagogue, set up shop and with your pastor, priest, imam, or rabbi on hand to convince you to get a flu shot. As an example, it says um, they cited a priest who stopped in the middle of Mass to roll up his sleeve and get vaccinated, inspiring the rest of his parish to line up behind him. All the marketing gimmicks, eh? So thank God to God and, and get your shot. Ah, eh? eh? oh, people are so stupid though. They're, what can you do? What can you do? Eh? So stupid. Now, happy shopping really. And for those who live in Sandwell and, and West Bromwich, uh, basically in England, because I'll put up a video tonight to show you what their f- version of the TSA is doing. Because they use police to do that there in the streets and everything. Uh, to show you how they search folk in the streets as you go towards and, and bus stations or passing the bus stations even. And it's called Safer Six in Sandwell. It's all for your safety, you understand, and, and Merry Christmas. Oh, sorry, I can't say Christmas. It's Happy Holidays, isn't it? Happy Holidays, whatever that means. And this is a good article. I've got to read this one because it's to do... With, again, the, the debasement of society worldwide as all morality goes down uh, the sewer. And that's where it is. It's in the sewer now. This is uh, Alexei uh, Yafimov shudders at the memory of the burly thug who threatened to kill his relatives. Yafimov, who installs satellite television systems in Brebusk, Belarus, answered an advertisement in 2010 offering easy money to anyone willing to sell a kidney. He saw it as a step towards getting out of poverty. Instead, Yefimov, 30, was thrust into a dark journey around the globe that had him at one point locked in a hotel room for a month in Kyoto, Ecuador, waiting for surgeons to cut out an organ, Bloomberg Markets magazine reports in its December issue. The man holding Yefimov against his will was Roni Shimshilishvili, his name is, it sounds like Russian, a type of Russian, I'll put it that way. A former kickboxer who was an enforcer for the international organ trafficking ring, according to evidence gathered by police in Kiev. Yefimov says that when he pleaded with uh, Shamazlashvili to get him out of the deal to go and go home, the big man sliced the air with the tie box and moves and threatened him. He said if I didn't go through with it, he would leave me in Ecuador and kill my family. 
Doctors removed Yefimo's left kidney in 2010, transplanted it into an Israeli woman. Most of it's getting bought by Israelis, according to the Kiev police investigation. On the plane back to Belarus on the western border of Russia, uh, the same guy, Shemish Lashivili, told Yefimo that if he wanted to live, he shouldn't talk to the police. I'm afraid for my life, said Yefimo, standing outside his mother's Brabrusk uh, apartment building, a nine-story Soviet-era edifice that's surrounded by weeds and trash. The traffickers paid Yefimo $10,000. Generally in the Philippines, they only give them five, and they spend most of that on antibiotics need to try and keep the other post-operative uh, post, uh, infection away. <laughs> he says it wasn't worth the, the fear that haunts him today. It says, violence and coercion. Yefimo is one of the faceless neglected victims in a sprawling global black market in organs where brokers use deception, violence and coercion to buy kidneys from impoverished people, mainly in underdeveloped countries, and then sell them to critically ill patients in more affluent nations. The middlemen form alliances with doctors and leading hospitals who do these transplants for a fee, no questions asked. Organ trafficking is on the rise. As desperate people seek transplants in a world that doesn't have enough donors, about 5,000 people sell organs in the black market each year, according to France, Francis Delman Monaco, an advisor on the transplants to the World Health Organization. Then they go about against the law, the usual stuff, etc., etc. And um, this is one of them. Is, uh, this is it's against the law to buy or sell an organ in every country except Iran, said Delmonico, who's president-elect of the Montreal-based Transplantation Society which uh, lobbies governments to clack down on illicit procedures. And it says, exploits shortages. There have been successful fighting organ trafficking around the world, Demonico says, but organ trafficking continues to flourish because criminals exploit shortages of organ donors. Bloomberg Markets reported in June that U.S. citizens and others from Americas suffering from kidney failure were going to Nicaragua and Peru to buy organs in a shadowy trade that injured and killed donors and recipients. And, uh, and it goes on and on and on. It says that with a generally well-educated population of 7.4 million and a modern medical system, Israel has an acute shortage of organs, in part because of religious beliefs. So I guess them being religious makes you need an organ. Uh, what they're saying, you know, it's, they want the kosher ones. Just 12% of Israelis are registered donors, meaning they have consent to let their organs be used for transplants after they die, according to the Israeli National Transplant Center. That compares with 40% of Americans about 750 Israelis are currently waiting for a transplant, which is 13 times more than the number of uh, such surgeries performed legally in Israel in 2010, according to the center. So uh, Delmonico, the professor of surgery at Harvard Medical School, spent up the past six years lobbying government and doctors around the world to combat organ, organ trafficking. He says Israel's government is trying to crack down on it too. Well, we'll wait and see. He says the Knesset too. Israel's legislative body passed the organ transplant law in 2008, setting penalties, including imprisonment of up to three years for buying and selling organs and requiring hospitals to scrutinize transplants by non-relatives and foreigners. Then it goes on to try on about trying to break up the gangs uh, and so on. Israeli police have been amongst the most aggressive in the world against organ traffickers, breaking up three international gangs since 2008. So a lot of them are, are based in, in Israel and some of them in the Soviet Union in conjunction with Israel. But it goes on and on and on. And that's the way it is in this disgusting world. And um, an article to up here tonight too is um, to do about thinking twice before handing the EU power. And it's from the Scotsman newspaper. And this guy goes through some of the, the, the history of how the EU has lied 
step by step, all the way into this totalitarian system. And he reminds them of the, the policies they've used in the past, including crisis to try to, to get all power away from the once sovereign nations. Now, I'm going to go to the phone calls now and see who's hanging on the line. And I think we've got, there's Daniel from the UK. Are you there, Daniel? Hello? Yeah, hello. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can, yeah. yeah do you think um, eventually there'll be separate housing for state workers? Like there'll be in separate little communities all gated and guarded for all the state workers so it's like widens the gap between us and them and that sort of thing? Oh, well, yeah, they've actually talked about that even in the CFR articles of, of the cities of the future for workers. The cities of the future, by the way, are the present slums we're in today. And, uh, and they've, they've already set up their, uh, you've probably seen the articles about Prince Charles's, these new communities for the, for the middle class. They'll be your overseers. They're out in the country. They have space between the houses. Uh, they're not big high rises. They have gardens and, uh, they're all eco-friendly, etc., etc. Uh, that's for the middle classes. It's already been discussed what's to happen for the next 50-odd years, etc., yeah. I mean, uh, because, I mean, uh, from a security point of view, from their point of view, they they will probably become threatened. I mean, yeah. people identify them as their tormentors and, um, mm-hmm. you know, enforcing these unfair laws. Surely they're going to... For their own sake, they're going to be in guarded communities. That's what I see as. Oh, they are in guarded communities. Uh, You'll see the, they already have them in the US, these gated communities, they call them, for those who can afford them. And uh, Britain's following suit right now with these ideas under Prince Charles's uh, new free communities outside. It's only for the middle classes and the wealthy, but hold on back after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix, talking to Daniel from the UK about uh, the types of um, places where workers will live. But remember too, Daniel, they, uh, they have plans, big plans, as, as, this, uh, as people die off up to, the age, up to the year 2050. And as I say, there's the Brookings Institute uh, giving out uh, lectures on the coming laws that they're all working on right now to do with cloning, uh, big time cloning. And I think they're going the way of Brave New World, so that, that was the agenda, where they'll eventually breed the alpha, betas, and thetas to take care of all sections of society. And that is their, that really is their part of their plan. So as the people die off, your, your tax money's been going all this time to find ways to create, uh, good worker bees that are kept quite content, uh, very simply too. Um, and don't have to be propagandized into submission all the time. They will be pretty submissive people. But uh, they've, all, they've figured all this kind of stuff out a long time ago. And most, cho- most people today, by the year 2050, most of them will have no children anyway, except for immigrant families. They're the only ones who still have families intact to have children or want children. And um, so really for the next 30-odd uh, years or so, 40 years, we're simply being managed as we go down, down the tubes. But they do, under Agenda 21, say that they want more and more people off the rural areas uh, except those who are vital of vital importance. At the same time, of course, they're, they're, they're putting up these special places, these gated communities, you might call them, in Britain as well, 
uh, for the middle classes who will be working in government and the officialdom, and that's where they'll be all living. That's already happening. They have to be. They have to be protected. I mean, that's what I see. Yeah. And they have to be separate. But with regards to this medical thing you're talking about, one thing I was surprised at, you, you mentioned this higher level of science, this medical science at the top. Um, yeah. Well, that uh, Sir James Goldsmith, yeah. the father of Jemima Khan, um, he was a high-up banker, but he, he died of cancer in his 60s, didn't he? He died of uh, a very fast-acting prostate cancer because he was trying to pull Britain. He actually went rogue and he was trying to pull, pull Britain back out of the EU. And so, you know, one of the oldest tricks in the book, and it's been out in exposés on the CIA and others, this this guy a lot a tiny little bit of uh, uh, uranium on the seat of your car. You won't even notice it. You sit on it, it. and you're down in a, in a week with cancer of the prostate. Yeah. Well, well, this is it because, um, as far as assassination goes, um, giving people carcinogens is a very innocuous way. And I've thought about this because. All the people you see throughout history who die of cancer, who yeah. were very controversial figures, you think um, it was quite easy even decades ago. Well, I'll tell you how easy it is. Um, back in the, the 70s, uh, a Russian assassin was caught in Britain. Well, actually, he was chased in Britain. He left his, his, his uh, briefcase behind, and it was full of all these different toxins, little sprays you could spray in a person's face and so on. Uh, he just killed a person, at a, a defector in London. And he went on the run, but they got his briefcase with all these toys in it. Uh, all the countries have the same stuff, by the way. And uh, what they said was, these, disease, these things that they could spray in you, inject in you, one could be shot in with a little BB, a tiny BB, which this guy had actually used in an umbrella. He had a guy in the thigh, and that's how he killed the Russian defector. But anyway, uh, they said that once the, the, these things take over, these various chemicals and bacteriums, they can attack your liver, and any post-mortem would say that you died of cirrhosis of the liver, even if you were drunk in your life, that would be the verdict. It would literally mimic all the kinds of diseases, advanced diseases, and it could give you lots of different kinds of cancers. And that was back in the 70s, that was mainstream. They've had this for an awful long time. Yeah. It's a wonderful world, eh, Alan? Well, um, thanks, yeah. thanks very much, and uh, have a good weekend. And thanks for calling. And from Michael, Indiana, Bob, Texas, and Jane, Ontario, maybe you could call again on Monday. Thanks for listening. See you then.